My name's Matt. I'm on the pastoral team here at Victory Point. And like Ryan said, just a warm welcome to all of you. Whether this is your church home that you come most Sundays or you're fairly new here, just glad this group of people is together today because we'll never get this moment again with this group of people in this moment in time. God has something for us, I'm convinced, and I'm excited to kind of live into that together uh, with you this morning. My, my heart is full, my mind is full, I have no idea if what's going to come out is, is what's on the paper, but we're going to do our best and just pay attention to what the Holy Spirit's saying. Um, how many of you uh, were here Friday night and Saturday for the Naturally Supernatural Workshop? That's awesome. There was just over 100 people in this room. It was all configured differently. There was tables and chairs and just over 100 people gathered here Friday night and again yesterday for the day. And uh, we really were, were trained and taught how to, how to press into the supernatural, especially the spiritual gifts that the Good Father has for us. And uh, it was a really rich time of worship and teaching and practice and training. Um, And we do those things because at Victory Point, what's important to us is to make disciples. We think that's how the kingdom is best advanced through disciples who learn to be like Jesus and do the kinds of things Jesus did. And you can't read the Gospels very far without encountering things that Jesus did that were very supernatural, like driving out demons and healing the sick and um, having words of wisdom and and telling the the weather to cooperate with him. I mean, and if we're going to really be like Jesus and do the things he did, uh, we need to learn to access the the spirit of Jesus and the Holy Spirit in us. And that's why we do things like that. That's why we offer these workshops once a year, uh, because we really want to be like Jesus. And uh, there were some neat things that happened here yesterday. There were some people who experienced physical healing, uh, emotional healing, um, spiritual breakthrough, filling of the Holy Spirit. It was just a, it was a really rich time. And I just am really grateful that we as a church do things like this. Really proud, actually, that we as a church do things like this. And I'm really um, grateful for the role we can play in the greater kingdom of God in West Michigan. And I uh, just want to say thanks especially to, to Pam and to Earl and to Brendan and to Mitch and to Tori. That, they, they put a lot of work into this beforehand and behind the scenes yesterday. And um, this church does a good job hosting things. Great, great spirit of hospitality. And uh, so really, really proud to have been part of that this weekend. Um, but I want to dive in this morning. And uh, I want to set the scene of a story that I want us to, to have some fun with and, and look at and learn from this morning. Uh, it involves the prophet Elijah, who was more than just um, one who exercised prophecy. He, he's kind of like the, the, the go-to prophet in the Old Testament. Like he gets, He's the one that sort of um, embodies what a prophet is in the Old Testament. So we're, we're going to look at the story of the prophet Elijah in the book of First Kings. So if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to First Kings. Uh, we're going to be in chapter 18 primarily, but I want to give some context. So here's the, here's the context. It hadn't rained in Israel for over three years. Okay, there's a drought. And there's a reason there's a drought in the land. I'm going to start in uh, 1 Kings 17. These won't be on the screen. I just want to give us some context. But here's what it says in 1 Kings 17, verse 1. It says, Now Elijah, as surely as the Lord... This is, this is what Elijah says. He, he went to King Ahab, and this is what he says to King Ahab in verse 1. As surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, the God that I serve... There will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give the word. So God sends Elijah to King Ahab with a declaration that there's going to be a drought. There's going to be no rain, not even any dew on the grass for a long time. So Elijah, the obedient prophet that he is, delivers the message. And then he goes into hiding. Because you're not going to be very popular if you're the source and the reason for a drought in the land. So God even tells Elijah, you know, in verse 2, he says, I want you to go east and I want you to hide. I want you to hide by the Kareth Brook near the Jordan River. And I want you to drink the water from the brook, okay, to nourish you. And you know what? Here's what I'm going to do, Elijah. I'm going to send birds, ravens. And these ravens are going to bring you bread and meat every morning and evening. Can you, isn't that crazy? Can you imagine like a bird bringing you like a piece of bread or a chunk of meat like 
Would you eat that? But Elijah did, and he he drank the water from the brook. But eventually, the brook dried up because there's a drought. There's, There's no rain in the land. So then God says, here's what I want you to do now, Elijah. I mean, there's this conversation going on between God and Elijah. The Lord said to Elijah, go and live in the village of Zarephath near the city of Sidon. I've instructed a widow there to feed you. And you might know this story. It's a great story. So Elijah goes and he finds this widow. And he finds her when she's uh, going out to get water. And he said, hey, could you get me a cup of water, please? And as she goes to get him a cup of water, do you remember the story? He says, oh, hey, can you bring me some bread? You know, the ravens must not be bringing him bread anymore. So now he's asking the widow to bring him some bread. Do you remember what she says? She says, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house. I have no bread. And I only have this little handful of flour left in the jar and a little bit of cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. And I was just going to gather a few sticks to cook the last meal. Then my son and I will die. That's how desperate the situation is. You remember the story? Elijah says, no, here's what I want you to do. Get me the bread um, and, and then uh, make, you know, take your little bit of flour, take your little bit of oil, make me some bread, give it to me first, and uh, that little cup, that little jar of flour and that little jar of oil will never run dry. And it happens. Um, she obeys, and, and she gives Elijah bread, and then uh, he comes to live with her and her son, and they, they always have bread. It's, it's this, this miraculous provision from the Lord. It's really cool. But then, if you know the story, um, the son gets sick and dies. Her only son gets sick and dies. And she's like, man, what have you done to me, O man of God? Like, why did you come? Did you, did you come here to, to bring this kind of grief on me? And so then Elijah's like, you know, bring the son to me. And uh, he, he lays the son down and carries him up to the upper room. And then he cries out to God, like, what are you doing, God? Why'd you do this? And it says in, in um, chapter 17, verse 21, it says that Elijah, he, he stretched himself out over the child three times. And he cried out to the Lord, God, please let this child's life return to him. So three different times, Elijah prays to God. And after the third prayer, God answers his prayer. And the boy comes to life. He comes back to life. And Elijah presents her presents him to her mother or to his mother and then the woman says now I know for sure that you are a man of God and that the Lord truly does speak through you so now verse chapter 18 verse 1 says later on in the third year of the drought so the drought has been progressing and now it's in its third year the Lord said to Elijah go and present yourself to King Ahab tell him that I will soon send rain So Elijah went to appear before Ahab, and he he shares this news. And then what what Elijah does is he he extends this invitation. And this is this uh, really powerful story that we're getting close to. Um, In in verse 19 of chapter 18, 1 Kings, Elijah says this. Now, I want you to summon all of Israel to join me at Mount Carmel, along with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah, who are supported by Jezebel, Queen Jezebel. So Elijah facilitates this gathering on the top of Mount Carmel. Now, I had the privilege of uh, being on the top of Mount Carmel this summer in June on a study trip that I did to Israel. I have a picture. It's actually a collage of of pictures. Um, You know, Mount Carmel, if you look at that middle picture and you see that, that middle peak, that's Mount Carmel from a distance. I mean, it's not like this huge peak, but it's a significant hill and, um, these are just like uh, some scenes from our way up the hill. We, we got off our bus, jumped a guardrail, walked across a road, and then we found the trailhead to Mount Carmel. We started our way up Mount Carmel, and we get to this olive grove. You can see it in the upper left and lower right. It's, it's one of the oldest olive groves, olive tree groves in Israel, in the land of Israel. It's one of the, the oldest still operating, you know, grove of olive trees. There's trees in this olive grove that are over 2,000 years old. I mean, back from the time of Jesus. And, and so we stopped there and 
RVL, Ray Vanderlaan, our guide, told us to hang out there in the Olive Grove while uh, he had to go check on something. And some of you who've been on his trips knows that he was tricking us. And he, he climbed up Mount Carmel and then he started like reciting the story of Elijah, you know, um, in the prophets of Baal on, on Mount Carmel. It was really powerful. And then he invited us to join him up at the top. And so in the lower right, that's us up at the top now. And that's me in the top left practicing my selfies because, uh, you know, I'm learning to how to make my face look not so fat in the selfies. And so, uh, but that, that's Mount Carmel. Some significant things happened on the top of Mount Carmel. Um, one of the most exciting and significant things that happened on the top of Mount Carmel is what happened next in this story. And what happened next is um, Elijah invited all the prophets of Baal. Uh, he, he said, let's, let's have a little contest. Let's decide once and for all who is God. If the Lord of Israel is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. Here's how we're going to determine who's the real God. We're going to create these two altars and we're going to um, put like a bull you know, on top of each one. We're going to get some firewood. And then um, I'm going to let you guys go first. And I want you to call out to your God, Baal, and invite Baal to demonstrate his realness by you know, um, bringing fire to the altar. And you know, if, if you've read this story, uh, th- so... The prophets of Baal engage in this contest and uh, Elijah's sort of teasing them and taunting them and nothing happens and, you know, Elijah's teasing them like, like maybe, he's, maybe he's sleeping, maybe he's in the bathroom, you know, I'll just yell louder. Nothing happens. So Elijah then, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to fill these four big jugs with water. So go down, get, go down to the stream, fill them up, bring them back up, pour it over the altar, do that again, do that again. And uh, so it's just like soaked with water. And then Elijah prays and God sends down fire, such intense fire that it burns up not just the bull, but the whole altar and the stones and the water and everything. Clear demonstration of who is the one and true God. And then uh, Elijah takes the prophets of Baal down the mountain and uh, kills them. It's this great victory, you know, for, for Israel. Obviously, that does not make the queen and king happy. Um, so uh, there's... I want to get into the scene now that happens next. That was all context. Because there's, there's something else powerful that happens on the top of Mount Carmel. And uh, it begins in verse 41. And this will be on the screen. So this has just happened. This great victory. Verse 41, chapter 18. Then Elijah said to Ahab, Go get something to eat and drink, for I hear a mighty rainstorm coming. So Ahab went to eat and drink. But Elijah climbed back up to the top of Mount Carmel and he bowed low to the ground and he prayed with his face between his knees. Then he said to his servant, go and look out towards the sea. The servant went and looked and then returned to Elijah and said, I didn't see anything. Um, If you remember that picture of the mountain like up towards the top, if you just kind of go to the right to the far end of that kind of plateau, that ledge, you, you can begin to see the sea in the distance. So that's probably where his servant ran over there to the edge to look out towards the sea. I don't see anything, he says. Um, seven times, it says. Seven times Elijah prayed and told his servant to go and look. Finally, the seventh time his servant told him, I saw a, a little cloud about the size of a man's hand rising from the sea. Then Elijah shouted, Hurry to Ahab and tell him, climb into your chariot and go back home. If you don't hurry, the rain will stop you. Hasn't rained in, in three years. Plus, as soon as the sky, and soon the sky was black with clouds, a heavy wind brought a terrific rainstorm, and Ahab left quickly for Jezreel. Then the Lord gave, I like this, the Lord gave special strength to Elijah. He tucked his cloak into his belt and he ran ahead of Ahab's chariot all the way to the entrance of Jezreel. And most estimates are that was probably like a 15 to 17 mile run. Is that crazy? It's it's such a great story. It's such a great story. But here's my question. What if, what if Elijah had stopped praying for rain after one try? What if he, he, he prayed sent his servant to go look. Servant comes back, I don't see anything. And what if Elijah like, well, we tried. We tried, we, we went for it, but uh, you know, I, I guess we're done. Or what if he'd only prayed two times? Or what if he'd only prayed six times instead of seven times? 
What if with the widow's son, he'd only prayed once? Tried, he's still dead. What if he hadn't prayed three times? And it begs this question, doesn't it? How long do you pray for something? How, how long? How long do you pray for something? How many times do you pray for something? Three times? Seven times? How long do you pray? Like an hour? A day? A week? Do you keep praying for something for years? How long do you pray? Hopefully we're going to answer that question this morning. So you pray with me. Lord, I pray as we engage your word this morning and continue to open up your scriptures, um, that it will speak to us uh, in bold, fresh ways. That it will, it will find its way into good heart soil and it will become something. It will take root and bear fruit in our lives, not just today, but in the days and weeks and months and years ahead. Speak to us in this moment. Put our lives on a new trajectory through this moment this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you've been hanging out here at Victory Point for the last few weeks, you know we are in uh, week three of a four-week series on prayer called The Circle Maker. And it's based on a book by Mark Batterson by the same name, The Circle Maker. And I know a lot of you have picked up that book from our welcome table. Uh, I think we might have just a few left. They're only $10 and you've been reading that along with us in this series. And it's a, it's a really, really great book about prayer. And, and the, the term Circle Maker comes uh, from this, this character named Honey. Honey was uh, a man who lived in Israel between the Old Testament and New Testament times. Um, God had sort of gone quiet. There had not been any prophecy for a long time. And uh, there was a drought in the land. Kind of similar, huh? And uh, what Honey did, according to um, historical records, is Honey... uh, came down among the people. He was like this weird, eccentric sage that probably lived up in the hills or something. He came down among the people and he took his staff and he planted it on the ground and he made a circle like this. And then he knelt down in that circle and he prayed to God and said, I'm not leaving this circle until you send rain. And and as the story goes, what happened is, is pretty soon rain began to fall. And Honey said, not this kind of rain, God. I mean like rain. And then it just started to like downpour. And then Honey like qualifies it one more time. Like, like no, not that kind of rain. Like just a nice rain. And, um, and then this rain happened. And uh, it, it nourished the land and the drought was over. And the legend of the circle maker was born. And that's just what this book, you know, kind of uses as a, as a starting point to talk about prayer. And, and we're inviting you in this series to identify what is it in your life? What are you dreaming? You know, what are the, what are the fears you're, you're trying to overcome? What are the things you're praying for that you're drawing circle around? That you just keep circling in prayer. And we're inviting everyone to identify those things and to, to pray over those things. And what's it look like to pray over those things together? We're going to talk about that in a little bit. But in week one of the series, when we, we launched it a couple weeks ago, uh, Pete was back with us from Minneapolis, and he referenced a parable uh, that Jesus shared with his disciples, um, and I want to revisit that. It's in Luke 18, and the, the, the people who put the Bible together sort of titled this parable, the parable of the persistent widow. The parable of the persistent widow. So if you have a Bible or an app or you know, something like that, just turn ahead to the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Go to Luke and find chapter 18. And I want to read uh, just this first five verses. One day, Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. There was a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God, he didn't even care about people. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God. He even knows this about himself. I don't even care about people, the judge said. But this woman, she's driving me crazy. She's driving me crazy. So I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant 
requests. I want to go back to that first verse. One day, Jesus told his disciples a story. Why? He told his disciples a story to show them that they should always pray and never give up. When should we pray? Always. When should we stop? Pray three times. Pray seven times. Pray 700 times. Always pray, never give up. Now that phrase, that, that phrase that's used to describe the widow's persistence, you know, that, that, man, this, this woman is wearing me out. That's sort of a, it comes from, from boxing, you know, from, from the sport of boxing. It's, it's boxing terminology. Praying hard is like going 12 rounds. Like, I've never boxed. But like, you know, like you, I can imagine, my, my wife's going like this now to me, like, um, I think she's making fun of me. So uh, I'm self-conscious now. I'm going to keep my hands like this. But um, no, you can imagine in a heavyweight bout going 12 rounds, like how heavy your arms get. You know, just how it's hard to even keep your, your, your defenses up. You're, you're wearing the person out where, where the judge, you know, finally like lowers his arms like, I give in. I'm just going to give her what she wants because she's driving me crazy. You know, the persistent widow wouldn't take no for an answer. She drew a circle around justice. I am asking for justice. Circling over and over and over until she gets justice. And I think the judge eventually became to realize that um, she's going to circle his house until the day she died or, or until she gets justice. The judge knew that there was no quit in this widow. And I just wonder with whatever it is that you and I are praying for, does the judge or the father, does God know that there's no quit in you? Is that the type of praying person you and I are? Does God know, like, we're not stopping. We're not quitting. Does he know that about us? I mean, think about it. The persistent widow's methodology was unorthodox. Technically, in what she should have done, she was supposed to wait for her court date. She was supposed to wait before she comes before the judge and then present her case. I mean, going to a judge's house, I think that crosses a line. I mean, in our day, the judge would get a restraining order, put a restraining order on her, like, keep that woman away from my house. She can only come within so much distance of me. And Jesus, telling this story, I think he's teaching us something about the nature of God. And that's this, that God could care less about protocol. God could probably care less about, you know, proper ways of doing things. If he did, if God was all about the proper way of doing things, I think God would have probably chosen the Pharisees instead of the disciples to be his disciples. If, if God really cared about protocol, um, he wouldn't have honored the prostitute who crashed the Pharisees' party. Um, he would have honored the Pharisees. Jesus honored the, the short tax collector who climbed the tree to get a glimpse of him. Jesus honored the four friends' faith who, who cut a hole in a roof. It wasn't even their house. They cut a hole in somebody else's roof in order to get their friend in, to Jesus, to, to lay their friend at Jesus' feet. And in this parable, this beautiful, silly, crazy story, Jesus honors the woman who drove a judge crazy. Because, and he highlights her and he points, out, he points out her to the disciples because she wouldn't stop asking, seeking, and knocking. And the common denominator of all, of all these stories, these examples that I just referenced, is, is this some level of holy desperation. God still today, just like in, in these stories, God still today, he honors the bold party crashers and the tree climbers. God still honors bold prayers. God still honors those who pray with audacity and tenacity, who, who cry out in desperation. For this widow, the difference between justice and injustice was unrelenting persistence. Persistence in prayer. And I think Jesus is teaching us, he's, he's teaching his disciples then and his disciples today in this room. He's teaching us, and I think inviting us 
to relentlessly persist in prayer. Almost as if it's okay to bug God, which is as wrong as that sort of sounds. He's, he's sort of inviting us, it's okay to bug God. So what are you praying for? What, what are you going after right now in prayer, crying out in desperation for in your life? What are you seeking? What's, what's the dream that, that without God it's not going to happen? What's the fear that keeps um, hindering you or holding you back that you're circling in prayer, want to be delivered from, want to be want to have victory over it. What is it you're going at? What healing are you going after? Like, God, I, I need you to, to, to fix this. My body's broken. It's not working right. I, I, I need your help. Um, what, what, what relationships are broken that you're circling in prayer, that you're crying out in desperation, like, God, I need you to break in and break through and repair. Where are you asking, where, where do you need provision in your life? Where do you need clarity in your life? Here's a question. How many, how many laps are you willing to circle in prayer around those things? How long are you willing to keep going? How many laps around the wall are you willing to make? Kind of reminds us of the story of Jericho in, in the book of Joshua. I love that story. I love the metaphor that it provides for all of us. I mean, here you have the people of God, the Israelites. God has led them through the wilderness for 40 years but he's promised them a new land, the land of Canaan. We call it the promised land, the land of milk and honey. You know, he, he promises it to them. And, and when he's ready for them to finally have it, he takes them up to the edge of it. He says, across this river, this is the land. This is your land. This is yours. I promise this land to you. I give it to you. It's yours. But they still, you know, it wasn't just like a magical, easy, quick, like, all right, we're going to wander in and just take over. Like, they, they had to work for it. They, they, they had to battle for it. They, they had to battle to possess what they already owned. And it began with Jericho. It began with this huge fortified city. Um, that, that, that was, you know, stories upon stories high. You know, how, how are we going to get through that? And, and God says, I want you to, here's what I want you to do. Walk around it one time every day for six days. Imagine, just imagine doing that. Like, walk around the city. Go back to your tent. Do it again, do it again, do it again. Then the seventh day, I want you to walk around it seven times. And then you're going to give this huge, you know, trumpet blast and a big shout. And, and the walls are going to come down. And that's exactly what happened. What if they'd stop walking around after the third lap? What if they stopped walking after the fourth lap or the fifth lap? What if they circled it six times and then decided, like, you know what? This isn't working. God must not be listening. I'm going home. Can you imagine if you found out later, like, oh, one more lap. One more lap and we would have had it. One more prayer. I was that close. I mean, just, there's this, there's this picture in there. Like, I don't know how many laps you have to circle something in prayer. I, I, for some of you, you're way past seven already. I don't know how many laps you have to keep circling, you know, whatever it is you're trying to break through and break down and in prayer. But, but don't give up. When should we pray? Always. When should we stop? Never. Never. Israel had already been given the land of Canaan, but they had to take action. They had to exert some effort. They had to work. They had to battle to possess what God had already promised them. They had to put effort into possessing the promise. And it reminds me of this quote that I heard from Dallas Willard. You know, I've heard quoted by Dallas Willard over the years, and even again a little bit yesterday, Paul McConaughey was up here talking about indirect effort. But it's this quote from Dallas Willard in a book he wrote called The Great Omission, Reclaiming Jesus' Essential Teachings on Discipleship. And he says this, it'll be on the screen. Grace is not opposed to effort. Excuse me. It's opposed to earning Earning is an attitude, effort is an action. Grace, you know, does not just have to do with forgiveness of sins alone. And and I think what Dallas is trying to get at here is sometimes when it comes to God's grace and and God, you know, his, his answers, his provision, all the things that he has for us, sometimes I think we get into this mindset that it's all 
grace. It's all God. There's nothing I can do. True, but, but I think there's a, there's a little finesse in that understanding. Grace is not opposed to effort. There, there's nothing you could do for, to earn your salvation. It's a gift. The gift of, it's the gift of God. Salvation is this, this gift of God. Grace is God's gift to us. We cannot earn it. But there are things we can do to um, participate in, in the receiving of that. There's, there's a role we can play in partnering with God in the receiving of grace. It's, we're not, we don't receive God's grace because of anything we do or don't do. But there's a participation invited into this. Grace isn't opposed to effort. I mean, in some mysterious way, and I'm not even sure how to adequately explain this, God is always the source of grace. God is always the initiator of grace. It's, it starts with him. Um, we, we would never even have an understanding of grace if it weren't for God taking the initiative when Adam and Eve sinned to put this salvation plan into action to go after us. He is the initiator. He is the source of grace. But in some mysterious way, it seems to me that he invites us into this glorious partnership in, in the answering of our prayers. That, that we have a role to play, if nothing else, than just submitting and surrendering and completely depending and obeying him in the working out of our prayers. So I'll share a, a quick little story and maybe hopefully this will work. So last weekend, I wasn't here. I had the weekend off and I was up north bow hunting. It's my first time out in the woods this year. And uh, I hadn't even opened up my bow case until Friday of last week. And I quick shot some arrows at a target at my dad's house on Friday afternoon um, before I went out to the woods. Now, one of the mornings I was bow hunting last weekend. Um, and by the way, I haven't shot a deer in how long, Tori, have we been married? Like, I used to shoot deer, then I got married. And something happened. I'm not blaming Tori, but something happened. Um, I haven't shot a deer in a really long time. Like 15, 20 years probably. Um, but I love going out in the woods. And, and so I, one of the mornings I was out in the woods last week, like uh, um, I, had a, I had a doe in front of me and I heard, she kept looking behind her and I, I heard something coming. And you know how like you guys who are in the woods hunting sometimes, you just have a sense like, that's a buck. I, I can just feel it in my spidey senses. That, that's a buck coming. And it was. And I saw horns, like big horns, like at least a three or four on one side, which makes it a legal shooter up by us. And so I was all like excited. My knees are, you know, and uh, I actually drew back on, on the, the buck, but he, he never came in out of the trees. He, he never presented himself, you know, where I could get a shot. And uh, eventually he, he wandered away and I tried talking to him, but the grunt tube and a doe bleat and he didn't come back. And um, so I'm getting ready to get down and then a doe comes in. Okay, I'm like, I'm just shooting. I just want to shoot a buck. But the doe stayed there for like 20 minutes and I was getting bored. Like, well, maybe I'll shoot the doe. You know, I I haven't shot a deer in a long time. It's kind of a small doe, but maybe it's meat. You know, I could put meat in the freezer. So uh, yeah, that's what I'll do. So I drew back, released my arrow, totally missed her. (laughs) Why are you clapping? Totally, totally missed her. Right in front of her neck. You know, I was like that far off from where I was aiming. I don't know if it was the arrow, me, but, but here's what I do know. I shouldn't expect to shoot my bow once, a few shots, and then have success. That's unethical. I shouldn't do that. If you're going to go out in the woods and go after deer, I should practice a lot. And, and it got me thinking, you know, about prayer. I, I shouldn't expect to just pray once and then expect my answer to prayer. Sometimes God works that way, and I don't know why he does, but he's a good God, and he does that. But um, I, I think there needs to be some, some effort on my part, you know, when it comes to prayer, to, to, to seek him, to persist in prayer, like the widow, to keep going after the answer, however long it takes, to keep circling the walls, however long it takes. And I think in some weird, mysterious way, God even enjoys that journey a little bit, because he's spending time with his children, you know, I, don't you love if you're a parent, like when, when you get to have conversations with your children? I think sometimes it takes a while because God enjoys the journey a little bit with us. There's this other phrase that I just want to give us that has really been 
kind of a, a mantra of mine um, over the last five years or so. I, I was in a coaching huddle, uh, a coaching relationship, you know, like six years ago. And the guy who was coaching me every week um, one time said a phrase that I'd never heard before, but I really like grabbed onto. And he said this. He said, pray like it depends on God, work like it depends on you. And now I understand that Mark Batterson said that in The Circle Maker. Pray like it depends on God. Work like it depends on you. I think then you're covered. <laughs> then you're covered when it comes to grace and you know, effort. Um, you're covered. I, you know, I, I can't, here, here's an example of that being played out. We were actually just talking about it in the, the corner before the gathering. But this Tuesday, there's elections happening right, in our country. Significant, important elections happening. Hopefully, we as followers of Jesus are praying. We're supposed to pray for, you know, people in leadership. We're supposed to pray for our country. We're, you know, hopefully we're praying. But we also have a role we can play in, in, not, in contributing to that too. We, we have this, this privilege, this responsibility to, to vote. And in, and in some way, it's like, you know, it's that prayer work thing. Like, like we're going to pray like, like it depends on God. You know, we're, we're just going to pray. We're going we're gonna to pray for, for God's will. We're going to pray for, for God's, you know, grace. We're going to pray for, for God's working, you know, through our leadership, through the elections. But we're also going to participate in that prayer. We're going to participate in contributing to the answer of that prayer, hopefully, you know, by, by participating in, in this privilege that we have. You know, another place where this kind of played out for me um, in, in the last couple of years, too, is... Uh, some of you know the story, but um, both my dad and my stepdad have had significant health journeys uh, over the last couple of years. One was a heart attack, the other one was cancer, and uh, so my biological father um, ha- has battled cancer, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Went through chemo, and um, I think the chemo almost killed him, you know, more than the cancer. And, and there were some dark days, I mean, in that journey a few years ago where we didn't know if he was going to make it. And, and I can remember, you know, having these conversations with my, my father. These kind of, the kind you get to have when, like, you don't know where it's all going to go. You know, like those kind of deep, spiritual, personal conversations. And, and even experiencing, you know, some tension with them at some times, you know, in the midst of that. Because, I mean, I was naive, you know. Uh, but, but, but when it comes to pray like it depends on God, work like it depends on you, I would share that philosophy with them. And, and like, Dad, I'm, I'm, I'm praying. You know, I'm praying hard for you. And uh, I, inv- I, I invite you to be praying for you. You know, but also don't, don't ignore the, the part you can play in the answer to these prayers. You know, like, like, like don't give up. Work hard. You know, and where we, we got into tension, honestly, is like, I have no idea what it feels like to be so sick and to be so sort of depressed and dejected that you just, you don't have any energy to do anything. You know, and I'm like trying to, as a loving son, like kind of urge it out of him. And that's unfair of me because I've never been in that situation. But I'm trying, you know, like, like it, it, at the very least, Dad, like, like you can choose joy. You know, like and I would quote things like, I, I think, did I put it up there? 1 Thessalonians 5, 17? I don't think I did. But you know that verse, you're like Paul says, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I'm like, Dad, can, can you at least do that? You know, like, like just every day, like just choose joy even when you don't feel like it. You know, pray even when you don't feel like it. Can you find something to give thanks for even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of, you know, the day-to-day wilderness and desert journey? I mean, and, and it was just this, this tension, I would say, you know, but it was a healthy one, I think, as we tried to spur each other on and, and, you know, walk with each other, trying to discern, like, you know, what does praying like it depends on God look like in this situation, but also what does working like it depends on us look like in this situation, and if we try hard at both, I think we're covered. Whatever happens, happens. Wherever God takes us, he takes it, but, um, we're in it with God. We're partnering with God in that. Does that make sense? Like this, pray like it depends on God. Work like it depends on you. I want to close just with one more parable. 
that, that Jesus shared with his disciples in Luke chapter 11. So if you still have your Bibles open and your Bible app, go back now to Luke chapter 11. Jesus is teaching about prayer. It says this. Once Jesus was in a certain place praying. He did that a lot, by the way. As he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Isn't that cool? Like the disciples noticed something about the way Jesus prayed that they weren't experiencing. So they're like, we want what you have. We want to pray the way you pray. And I think there's something very important to understand about prayer. Prayer is a skill that you can learn. Prayer is a, is a, is a discipline that you develop. It, it, it's, it's something you can grow in as you do it. Um, teach us to pray the way that you pray. So you know what Jesus said. He said this, this is how you should pray. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. Give us each day the food we need. Forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who sin against us and lead us and let us not yield to temptation. And there's another version of that too in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6. Then, teaching, he, he, I'm going to teach you some more about prayer, Jesus says. And teaching them more about prayer, he uses this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread and you said to him, you say to him, Hey, a friend of mine just arrived for a visit and I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me. The door is locked for the night. My family and I are all in bed. I can't help you. But I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep, lock, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. Because of your shameless persistence. In the NIV it says, shameless audacity. And I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened to you. For whoever asks, receives. Whoever seeks, finds. And whoever knocks, the door will be opened. Your father, you fathers, those of you who are fathers or mothers, I would add, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Or of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Ask, seek, knock. And more appropriately in the original language, Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, keep persevering. However many laps it takes, keep circling. When do you, what do you pray? When do you pray? Always. When do you stop? Never. I think you keep praying, you keep circling those prayers until God answers your prayers, you die. Jesus comes back or God changes your prayer because he does that sometimes. Like you, you start out praying for one thing and on the journey of prayer, he, he sort of forms you know, his spirit in you and, and he adjusts your prayer to align more with, with what he's up to. But I, how, I think we pray, and I think I'm serious about this, I think we pray till God answers the prayer, till we die, till he comes back, or until he changes our prayer. I think that's the answer. I think many of us, myself especially, we give up too soon. Because we feel like if God doesn't answer the prayer quickly, that we've somehow failed. You know, because he didn't answer maybe when we want or how he wants. I, that isn't failure. The only way you fail is when you stop praying. We, we, we can't allow our circumstances to get between us and God. We need to put God between ourselves and our circumstances and just see our circumstances through him and keep praying. And you might be sitting here this morning, and, and I get this. I think this is real. You're just like, I'm tired. I'm weary. I don't know where to begin. I don't know what to pray. I'm just barely holding on by a thread. 
I'm struggling to believe that God is even there. I'm struggling to believe that God even cares. How many times do I have to keep circling these walls? Can I just offer you two thoughts? And then we're going to sing. And they're very quick. The first one is this. If you don't know what to pray, you don't even like, know if you have the energy to keep praying, two things I would offer us. Number one, grab hold of the promises in the Bible and just start praying those. If you don't know what to pray for or how to pray in a certain situation, begin to pray the promises. Conservative estimates are that there's like probably 3,000 promises from God in this book. 3,000 plus promises in this book, in the scriptures. And, and all of God's promises become available and actualized and accessible in Christ. You know, Paul says we have every spiritual blessing in heaven in Christ. We have all of that, all of these promises are true of us now. We, we own them. We just need to start possessing them. And we need to start claiming them. And we need to start circling them in prayer. So maybe for you it's just like you, you come across a, a promise and you circle that in prayer. And you just begin circling it and claiming it. You begin your prayers with, God, you said, so I'm claiming this. God, you are, so I'm claiming this. I found a verse uh, just this week that I, it's a promise. Um, it's in I, Psalm 91, 9 through 13, that I've decided I'm going to pray this promise for my daughter, JC, who she's about to move from Ecuador into Peru on her mission trip. She's going to go towards the rainforest and the Amazon River and these floating houses. Um, and, and so I started thinking, like, I'm going to claim this promise. You know, if you make the Lord your refuge, if you make the most high your shelter, no evil will conquer you. No plague will come near your home. He will order his angels to protect you wherever you go. They will hold up, you know, they'll hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. You will trample on lions and cobras. You will crush fierce lions and serpents under your feet. Because I know there's snakes in the Amazon. And I'm going to pray God's promise that she's protected because I'm afraid of snakes. And so I'm, I'm just, I'm clean, see what I'm doing? I'm taking a promise from scripture and I'm circling it in prayer with my daughter's name on it. I don't know maybe what other words to pray, but I'll pray the words of scripture. I offer that to you as an idea. Pray the promises of scripture. I'm going to invite the band up. But the other thing I would just say is if, if, if you're just barely holding on and, and you're, just, you're just holding on by a thread, um, and you don't know what to pray, or you're not even sure you have the energy to pray, um, why don't you invite others to pray with you and for you? Sometimes you need people to stand in the gap for you in prayer because you don't have the ability to pray it right now. That's what the body of Christ is for. That's, what the, that's why we're a family. Invite others to pray with you and for you. So I just want to give you a second. You know, one thing we're doing in this Circle Maker series is we're inviting you to identify what is it you're circling in prayer right now. And, and I would invite you to think big, think bold. What are, what are you going after in prayer right now? What are you circling in prayer? What dreams, what fears, what relationships? What are you circling in prayer? What promises are you circling in prayer? To identify those and to share those. We have some cards back there on those tables. Um, can, I, can I borrow one of those, Ryan? You filling out some prayers? Look at that, Ryan. They look like this. They're on the tables back there. It says, I am drawing a circle in prayer around what? Share it. Write it down. Drop it in the box back there. What we're going to do as a staff, we're praying over these. As leadership, we're praying over these. Um, we're going we're to tape all these on a wall in the office this week. And then next weekend, here you go, Ryan, thanks. Next weekend, um, we're doing a 24-hour prayer room. And we're inviting the, the, the body of Christ, the family of God, to, to commit to coming in for a half an hour or an hour or however long you want. Sign up for a, a prayer slot out at the welcome table. Do it today. And, and sign up for one of those prayer slots. And then just come on into the office sometime between 10 a.m. next Saturday right up till worship time next Sunday, 24 hours. And, and be in that environment. And we'll give, well, there'll be some instructions and resources there, but all we're asking you to do is like read everyone's prayers and pray over them. And maybe God gives you a verse. Maybe God gives you a picture. Maybe he gives you a word of encouragement. There's even gonna be places where you can write those next to these prayers. And uh, I think it's gonna be really powerful, but we need people to come pray. 
We, we, our goal, our hope is to have 24 hours of continuous prayer over everyone's prayers in this church. And I invite you even beyond the 24-hour prayer room. If you're in our building during the week, in the evening, whatever, like go in there and pray. It doesn't have to be just during the 24 hours, but we really want to invite everyone to participate in the 24-hour prayer room. Um, it's going to be really powerful, I think. But imagine if it's not just you circling your prayer. It's all these people circling in prayer with you. Imagine what God might do. And we'll just keep circling. We'll just keep praying. Um, I, I just think it's going to be powerful. I think it could be life-changing. And I invite you to participate. So maybe just take 30 seconds right now. Take out a piece of paper. Is God giving you a prayer to circle right now? Or is he inviting you to help circle other people in prayer? Just get in touch with that. Pay attention to that. Write down what God's saying to you. And write down what you're going to do about it. In the book of James, chapter 5, says this. Elijah, remember the guy we started with, beginning of our gathering? Elijah was as human as we are. And yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Elijah prayed to the same God you and I prayed to. We can have the same kind of results that Elijah had. Not because he was special, but because he prayed to the God who could and would. Here's how we're going to end our time together today. We're going to sing a couple songs. And during those songs, I'm going to give you some invitations. Um, during the first song... Uh, I invite you to come and participate in communion this morning. I'm going to invite those who are serving to come on forward. Um, In Matthew, Matthew chapter 7, it's Matthew's version of Jesus' teaching on prayer. He says it this way. You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, got some bread right here. If your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask Him? We ask for bread. Jesus says, I give you my life. And I give you bread as a reminder of my life given for you. I give you bread to take and to partake of in remembrance of me. I give you bread as a reminder that that my body was broken for you. And I give you wine or I give you juice as a reminder that my blood was shed for you. So we're going to stand, we're going to sing. And as we sing this first song, I invite you to worship through communion. As we sing that first song after communion, if you have a prayer that you want to circle and share with us, feel free to go back to the back table. During that second song, if you would like to be prayed for, if you'd like someone to circle you in prayer this morning, right here, right now, um, I invite you during that second song to head back to that corner or to head back to that wall and there'll be some people that would love to pray with you. But let's, let's end our time in worship, in communion, in prayer this morning. Stand.